0: today on CityCast Denver. Earlier this week, Mayor Hancock announced that he would let the citywide indoor mask mandate expire Thursday. But he also said that we're still in the midst of a quote, public health emergency. So what does that mean for Denverites as we go about our daily lives? We called up Dr. Jonathan Samet to get the lowdown on where we're at with Omicron. Dr. Samet is a pulmonary physician and epidemiologist and is also the Dean of the Colorado School of Public Health. Today is Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Dr. Jonathan Samet, welcome back to CityCast Denver.
1: Great. Happy to uh, join you again.
0: So Mayor Hancock announced earlier this week that Denver's indoor mask mandate is going to be lifted by the end of the week, but he also said that we're still in a public health crisis. Can you interpret his actions for me? Why do you think he would make that decision about the the indoor mask mandate?
1: Right. So a couple of points. Um, First, the curve is going down, but the curve is still at a fairly high point. So, you know, we are hopefully by week's end going to be down to 50-60% of our peak hospitalization, you know, back um, in the in the fall. So that's good news, uh, but but still with a relatively high rate of infection, we need to be cautious. Um, you know, I'm not the mayor and I <laughs> you know, have, can't read his mind, nor nor was I consulted. I mean, you know, I think at this point, of course, the public tolerance for continued interventions, whether social distancing or masks is certainly um, become, you know, a problem in continuing uh, mask orders. I mean, I, I think in uh, actuality, you know, we're not uh, out of the Woods yet, there's still likelihood of transmission personally. I'm going to use a some form of respiratory protective device, you know at least for the short term on because there's still pretty high risk of transmission and Although vaccinated, of course, we know that there are breakthrough cases.
0: I feel you I'm kind of in that boat too, where I think uh, I probably will still be wearing a mask in so social situations outside my home.
1: Sure. I mean, it makes sense. And as I say, it's a no regrets strategy. I mean, in spite of misinformation about potential, quote, hazards of masks, I'm not really aware of any. And certainly in some of the extremes, they don't lower the concentration of oxygen you're breathing in and they, you know, (laughs) don't become traps for chemicals or pathogens or anything else. I mean, this is a good way to protect yourself. And if, you know, people want to be the most protective possible, they can get an N95 or KN95. So
0: hospitalizations are down, case counts are down. Does that mean that at least this Omicron variant is behind us in some sense?
1: Well, I think hopefully Omicron is behind us. I and mean, there's a little bit of worrisome uh, news out of the <clears throat> UK where there's another variant of Omicron that seems to be a bit more uh, transmissible than the one we're dealing with uh, now. But since it is so infectious, and so many Coloradans have had it, and so many are protected by vaccination, we think we're well positioned for the moment.
0: Does that mean we should be optimistic?
1: I think we could be optimistic for a while. And, uh, you know, sorry to qualify, but (laughs) um, we've been surprised over and over again by the virus. And, you know, looking both within the United States and globally, as long as it continues to be transmitted and replicate, mutations will occur. And and those mutations can produce variants that are more transmissible and possibly more virulent, a, a scary prospect than what we've been facing.
0: So would you say it was more of a cautious optimism or sort of, I, I don't know, how do you how do you feel about it as a human moving through the world?
1: You know, I'm I'm probably going to stay cautiously optimistic <laughs> until we have vaccines that provide lasting uh, immunity. I think I'm optimistic for the short term. Now, that <laughs> short term, if you say, well, gee, how long is that? I'm going to say, well, I think uh, up to and perhaps through the uh, summer. We know that immunity wanes. It... Uh, Perhaps after about six months, it begins to drop off from both natural infection and from vaccination. So, you know, think about that. That takes us into, you know, July, August, and um, we'll have to see. And then the biggest caution is always going to be, well, what about another variant?
0: Yeah. My brother's planning a wedding in October, and I'm like, are we going to be able to do it? I don't know. We don't know, right? I mean...
1: That's true. I mean in October we get back into the fall and a point where a lot of the immunity will have waned. I, I don't know and I I'm sure people are working on it and thinking about it what the next shot that any of us get will be. Yeah. Um, you know, will this be like the flu where we want to know what um uh, the next variant is that we need to worry about? They come awfully quickly. I mean we had you know, we had the uh and Delta and the Omicron, hardly with time in between to produce a new uh, vaccine and get the country vaccinated. So, I, you know, I think the fall is going to be a time where it's uncertain. I mean, we, of course, in the fall have colder weather again, kids back in school. And uh, so, I don't know, maybe the wedding should get moved to uh, June. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'll have to tell his girlfriend that who's doing all the planning. But this has me thinking about the flu shot that we get every year, right? Like they tweak the ingredients to right. fit that current flu strain. Is that something that we could sort of see in the future for COVID?
1: I think so. I think the question is different. So with with the flu, the vaccine is tailored to what we think is going to come. I don't think we have that ability yet for SARS-CoV-2. So I'm not sure. Maybe we'll get better at forecasting what uh, the mutants are going to look like, but um, these viruses, you know, have many, many mutations, and I think Omicron had more than 30 different mutations compared to the previously circulating Delta, and these viruses have quite deviated from uh, the original strains that, you know, arrived in the U.S. almost, well, two years ago now.
0: I've been hearing this word endemic. What does endemic mean in this context versus pandemic?
1: Sure. So let's start with epidemic, uh, which means, you know, an occurrence of disease beyond expected. And a pandemic is just one that reaches globally. Endemic means that we're going to live with it. It's going to cause disease, but not disruptive spikes.
0: What else would be considered an endemic that we live with?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, a a great example would be the other coronaviruses that cause the common cold. About a third of our common colds are caused by, I think it's four different coronaviruses. So they're here, they don't cause epidemics that typically have some seasonal, you know, play.
0: So the, I don't know if the hope is the right word, but that would be sort of the outcome is, we're hoping for is that it moves from the pandemic to an endemic to something we can live with. On a, as we do with these exactly. other viruses.
1: Okay. Exactly. And that may mean that, you know, we're doing some things we didn't used to do, like wearing perhaps respiratory protection and transportation environments or other close, closely packed spaces that we are in, but hopefully avoiding these spikes.
0: So there was this big push for folks to sign up to get free at-home tests in the last couple of weeks. I've read some doctors say that rapid tests may be a little misleading in terms of precautions because a negative test result may not necessarily mean you're COVID-free. How much stock do you think we should put into the the at-home rapid tests?
1: So it's clear that um, the test is not as sensitive, that is not as likely to pick up the infection as the you know, the gold standard test, the PCR. There, There is utility in the rapid testing. If you're positive, you're positive. And um, if you're negative, you're not necessarily negative. So uh, there's useful information. Um,
0: so it's kind of just like one of those added things, like maybe if you take a test and it says negative but you don't feel well, just stay home as
1: a precaution. Yeah, you could still have it. It by, it by no means excludes the possibility that you're not infected.
0: So – what overall guidance would you give someone right now who is vaccinated, boosted, and for the most part, healthy? Like someone who maybe not, is not at high risk.
1: Right, right. So I would say, first off, it's not 2019 yet. And uh, people need to remember that. And the fact that Omicron has turned down the curve doesn't mean that it's not with us. Last week in our modeling report, we estimated that 5% of Coloradans walking around were infectious. And um, that number is going to drop, we think, by the end of the month to less than 1%, which is great. Things are going to be better in a few weeks. Should be. So, you know, again, I would just say this is where people need to understand that um, the risk uh, persists and it's going to be lower and they may want to put off that gathering in the bar with um, friends for another few weeks because it'll be safer.
0: So my my last question is kind of about the politics of the situation we've been in. Do you see a way forward where masking and vaccination become less of a partisan
1: issue? Well, let me say, I hope they become less of a partisan issue. Now, that's different from the way forward. And... um, I think clearly the sort of hyper-partisanship of the moment has spread un- in an unfortunate way to public health and public health measures, and we are all kind of in this together. And uh, this partisanship is a barrier to uh, the right action. So it's unfortunate. I hope that we diminish from, you know, the partisanship of the moment. but. As you point out, it is a, uh, a very serious barrier.
0: Well, Dr. Samet, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's to speak with you, Brad.
0: And here's what else is happening in Denver today. The Broncos are officially for sale. With no controlling owner at the helm, the team and members of the Pat Bolin Trust, which includes seven of the eight children in the Bolin family dynasty, will be in charge of fetching the best deal. Oh, and the price to buy the Broncos? ESPN reports that the team is currently valued at just under $4 billion, and will likely sell for far more than that. But don't get 20,000 of your closest friends together to put a collective bid in just yet. League rules require one majority owner in the deal who controls at least 30% of the franchise, meaning at least one dude has to pony up more than a billion bucks all by themselves. And finally today, Because it's the month of love, I want to hear your Denver love stories. Whether it's about a person, a pet, or a place, what's happened in Denver that makes you feel those warm, fuzzy butterflies? Leave us a voicemail at 720-500-5418 and stay tuned for something sweet just in time for Valentine's Day. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter where today our producer, Paul Caroli, shares some foraging tips for all you budding mushroom hunters out there. Read more and sign up at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. We called up Dr. Jonathan Samet to get the load on I knew I was gonna screw that up <laughs> we called up Dr. Jonathan Samet to get the lowdown Lowdown. low down the lay down low, 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 low. okay. <clears throat>